Welcome to Iconocast, your field guide to the world of brands. What's new, what's changing, what's provocative, and what's curious? I'm your navigator, Jeanette Hanna. My name is Charles Landry, and I've been thinking about cities for a long time, perhaps I should say a very long time. This episode of Iconocast, we're delving into the intersection of brands, places, and psychology. What makes some places more resilient than others? How does the collective mindset of a community affect its comeback trajectory? What factors enable locales to reinvent themselves after major upheavals or economic downturns? Our guest, Charles Landry, the UK-based pioneer of creative city building, helps us unpack these issues. While our interview preceded the dramatic impact of COVID-19, Landry's insights on how to reimagine the future of places is more relevant than ever especially in light of the enormous inadvertent experiment, as he calls it, of the global pandemic and its fallout. For Landry, recovery starts with a potent, renewable resource that any place, no matter how large or small, can draw on. It's a sense of possibility of what could be. Over the years, I've been always working out how do you make the most of a city? And that's been a long-term interest of inventing, I suppose, the idea of the creative city that became a movement. And then I got into, you know, what does a place feel like? So very much into the emotional world of the city. And that led me to do a book with my colleague, Chris Murray, on psychology in the city. Uh, I, I did a project with the Knight Foundation, which was called Cities of Ambition. And its main line was, or the main focus was, what what are the places like who say it's not okay to be okay? And what that was about is saying so many places are the same. So many places have gone through the industrial restructuring that's happened over the last 30 years in America, Europe and elsewhere. And which means that practically every place has got that dilemma of what's my purpose in life? Where am I going and how do I get there? And the things that we wrote there, we looked at about 30 places and were interviewing people from mayors to civic activists and so on. And there was a whole set of preconditions that seemed really quite clear, which I called the archetype of the place that manages to say it's not okay to be okay. And, and one of the main things that really struck me is that there's no denial that they're willing to actually name the problem. And in that naming it, they were able to say, where do we go next? And I much prefer the word ambition to vision because ambition is the sort of energy that you can generate through, you know, your communities or stakeholders or people who who live in the city. And you obviously have some sort of forward focus And it's all about these cities that we're doing well, we're saying, what could be? What could be? Major social, economic, and even environmental upheavals can challenge the fundamental self-image of communities. Everything from wars to factory closings to pandemics. 
When a place's core identity is shaken, so too is the collective sense of confidence. And that insecurity can become a reflex, an invisible but formidable barrier to growth. You can almost feel it in the air. Some places just say no. They seem closed and downbeat, while others breathe possibility. They're open. They're yes environments. Landry makes the case that confidence building is an essential psychological infrastructure for communities, one that can be far more critical to future prosperity than physical investments like roads or transit, because ultimately their mindset is what determines whether places can move forward. Is it more a yes environment or more a no environment? What I mean by that is, and I think instinctively, most people, for a variety of reasons because of their psychological makeup, knows about environments that feel satisfactory. Now, they don't need to all be the same because some can be quite tranquil and others can be quite lively. But within that yes or no thing, you've got a sort of cluster of things. So the more you move towards yes, it's about people feeling more complete, feeling more uh, part of the environment, less overwhelmed by their physical surroundings. And perhaps you introduce even words like beauty in there. Anyway, physically attractive or attractive in a wider sense in terms of the activities going on. The no is sort of the opposite of that. And when you wander around cities, and I suppose I do that, I'm always asking that question, what does it feel like? And I suppose when you boil it down, you could say many, many words, you could write books about it. It's more about, is this a positive feeling or is this a negative feeling? The central issue around reinvention is that willingness to be more open than closed. And we all know from all forms of innovation that openness is a key thing. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be open every second, but it, your default position as a city needs to be more open than closed. The problem, of course, is that cities in transition are obviously under threat. Everybody's giving them a bad image. You know, this all reinforces things and generates a sort of lack of confidence. Or in other words, you've got a hell of a lot of hurdles to overcome to deal with these external perceptions. And I'm just thinking here of a city in, in, in Germany called Mannheim, which was destroyed in the war. That's another problem for cities, which is seen as really ugly. I don't think it is. But it's next to Heidelberg, which is the romantic city of Germany, which is all beautiful, that was not destroyed 20 kilometers away. And just contrasting those two, I, I, I did a lot of work in Mannheim. And one of the key things around our Creative City Index thing is you're looking at things laterally and horizontally. And the issues that then come up as the key issue are not necessarily the typical issue like it's an environmental problem or there's not very much employment or something. It's issues like confidence. So in that city, for example, Mannheim, it's big, it's very near Frankfurt, it's half a million. But lack of confidence has been the issue. And then from a city development perspective, the question is, how do you develop a strategy of confidence? And you can see that what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to change the language of city making, that instead of always talking about road infrastructure and all of that, I'm trying to put other things on top within which later you may or may not need road infrastructure, but you may need a hell of a lot of other things before that road infrastructure becomes the most important thing. And it's really these software, if I'm using that computer language, things that are far more important in terms of a city's ability to reinvent itself. Of course, we all know there are various things that need to happen. You know, for example, 
the typical cultural response historically was, oh, let's build a museum, let's build a concert hall, but let's all of these physical infrastructure things. But I, in my experience, find so much more is to do with the cultural mindset that determines whether a place can move forward. So what is the secret to resilience in communities? Landry describes culture as who we are, and creativity is who we can become. For places, creativity is a free, renewable, and energizing resource. It can enable ordinary people to make extraordinary things happen simply by reimagining their place in the world. As you know, in the Psychology in the City book, we're talking about psychological resilience. Cities are complex organisms, as we well know, and there are so many differences in a city. And the challenge is always not to get complete agreement on everything, but to get an agreement of the journey of travel. And there, that's where you do need sort of stepping stones. I mean, people might call that the vision or something like that. Stepping stones of moving forward. The big things is diplomatic to your own population to agree what the issues are. Unfortunately, that is that may sound negative, but you can wrap that round in the positive in the sense of then saying, and what can we make out of this? What are the assets that lie in to what we have? or had. And that's where I often use my own sort of slogans, you know, like creativity is a renewable resource, heritage or tradition, which could be tradition, could be physical, but also activities is a non-renewable resource, but they're great partners. So I'm always trying to, do you see what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to blend the past and the present and the future together in some sort of call it a narrative or something like that. Because if you go with the flow and grain of someone's cultural conditions and who they are and where they come from, they're, in my experience at least, they're more likely to change than if you go the other way around and just say, look, it's about time you actually changed and these are the three steps we're doing. I mean, I'm thinking of Saint-Étienne based around weapons manufacturing. Then use those factories, which is a vast design place and they became one of the UNESCO creative cities of design, which then overrides that historical thing, certainly in terms of external perception. You know, Manchester in Britain has done that as well. It was obviously a hub of the Industrial Revolution, but it had quite a lot of educational facilities. So linking the educational facilities and then the fact that the pop industry, music industry were strong, they managed again to shift it towards something that felt semi-hip. And that then has meant, for example, that it's incredibly attractive for students. That then all reinforces things. And in, in any industrial city has to basically go through this reinvention process. How do places find the moxie and heart to reinvent themselves and their sense of purpose? Landry gives some practical examples of the ways ambitious destinations have flipped disadvantages into real opportunities. Because so many places in Europe are close together, is cheapness you know, a place like Amsterdam becomes more expensive, like Berlin and all of that and the Parises. But then places quite nearby are cheap and you can flip a disadvantage into an advantage. You can think of all the potential experiments you could do in a smaller place, you know, the, the co-working spaces that might be more interesting than a classic one in New York or whatever. Typically, there are lots of techniques here. And one of the techniques is is you know there are lots of competitions and things like that 
entering certain competitions in Europe. There are lots of them. One of them I've chaired twice, which is the European Capital of Innovation. So these awards encourage cities under certain criteria to, to bid to become this capital of innovation. Now, there are lots of other forms of competition. And as someone who's been, you know, quite often on juries and stuff like that, often it's the aspiration that you give an award to. And the reason why sometimes competitions are quite useful is because it forces different people to come together. You know, if you say you might become the European capital of innovation, everybody will say, OK, yes, uh, let's all work together what that could mean for us. Or, you know, the world capital of design. I mean, there are many, many, many. And that, of course, is only one one technique. The, the reality is you always need a project. But what you then need is and that project could be a physical one. So you're usually looking at let's say a weakness and it could be a really difficult area or a building or something like that that you turn into a strength which give you the, the sense oh we can transform an area so i do think you need both things like the competition but you need a physical project the third thing is obviously you know the sort of cultural event type thing and that cultural event doesn't necessarily have to be a massive festival, but whatever you decide it could be, it could range, like I remember in Belo Horizonte, you know, the Festival of Garbage Workers or something. I'm not saying you do that. All I'm saying is once you put your imagination to it, you can do anything. But the main underlying logic of it all is somehow to bring different groupings together. Doesn't mean everybody's going to be equally involved, but, but at least you're then beginning to have effectively a variation of a dialogue i mean in europe one of the big things is, that's happening is the whole urban commons movement which is really saying you know our city is a shared endeavor we want to be part of making that and so on and and, and co-organizing it and bologna was the first city that really created a, a local government agreement of sharing the running and managing and operating of facilities jointly between a municipality and citizens groups and so on. And within all of that, of course, business plays a vast role. What I find interesting is when business is less narrow minded and less about, you know, it's only my bottom line trying to get business to see that their role is wider than just, you know, doing the narrow thing that they're doing. Some of those movements I find encouraging. There's a lot of work around the well-being agenda, which shows if a person as an individual and a person as a city feels well or good, you know, productivity and all these financial calculations rise as well. But I personally wouldn't want the agenda around that to be totally driven about productivity, which it does. But there's also all the issues around the well-being agenda, what makes people feel okay, public facilities where the city throws out a level of generosity. I mean, a good public space that is enabled by a city is really saying to the population, here, here is a gift. And that gift is more likely to be reciprocated. So so there's a toolkit in some sense. There's so much, which is all about being more inclusive, you know, involving people in different ways. For me, the starting point is really a collective conversation. 
And that can take many, many forms. And it may end up with something which is a combination. Yes, we recognize what the issue is, but we're actually going to move somewhere else. And this is our potential new role and, and, and purpose. The fallout from the pandemic has left most communities more fragile. The angst and insecurity is understandable. There's a lot of uncertainty ahead. But Landry reminds us that any place can nurture its collective ambition and daring by asking one simple question. What could be? That's all for this episode. We are so very grateful for the insights Charles Landry shared with us. If you want to find out more about his work, visit charleslandry.com. That's Landry, L-A-N-D-R-Y. Our series on Brands for Places continues with an insider view of what it takes to reimagine a fading steel town. That's with Tom Vare from Sault Ste. Marie in Ontario, Canada. Find Iconocast on all your favorite podcast sources. We'd love to hear from you. Drop a line anytime. I'm Jeanette Hanna. Thanks for listening.